0: Hello, and welcome to the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. Before we begin this week, I just wanted to make a short announcement. In a recent survey of listeners, you told us that you would like to be able to buy t-shirts and other items from the podcast. We recently commissioned a UK illustrator, John Chadwick, one of the people behind the Folk Horror Revival Facebook group to produce an exclusive piece of artwork for the podcast for just this purpose. He didn't let us down, and has designed a fantastic piece of art around the theme of the black dog in folklore, in the style of a medieval woodcut. This, along with a t-shirt bearing the podcast logo, is now available from our website. To see the design and order yours, please visit www.thefolklorepodcast.com. And click on Folklore Shop. Thank you. Folklore. The beliefs, traditions, and culture of the people. Passed on in the most part through the spoken word. Folklore expresses our values, our shared ideas with others. It is both how we were, and how we are. Without a record, our customs and traditions may become lost to us in the present, but under the surface, we still draw on, we still know. It's time to recall our forgotten history, and to record the new. This is the folklore podcast In years gone by Before we had the understanding that we have now of matters of science and medicine, human beings turned to the more supernatural to find explanations for things that they did not understand. We've covered this before on the podcast in our examination of sleep paralysis and the old hag phenomenon. In this case, what we now know to be a natural medical condition which prevents people from being able to move coming out of the dream state or hampers their breathing was blamed on nighttime visitations from demons or witches. We find a similar thing happening with natural occurrences which, without the benefit of scientific backing, would appear frightening or even apocalyptic. What is to us now a marvel of nature. To our ancestors needed rationalising and explaining, both for their own understanding and also to ensure that the world that they knew continued. One of the most unnatural and, for humans from prehistoric times right through the early modern period, most terrifying of these phenomena would have been the eclipse. Whether it was the Sun or the Moon being affected, Something in the heavens, home of the gods in many cases, was certainly amiss and this surely spelt trouble. A solar eclipse occurs when the moon is new. It moves between the sun and the earth, blocking the sun's rays and casting a shadow onto the earth. Because of a range of factors, the constant motion of the Moon and Earth, the slant of the axis, and such like, the position of eclipses will vary as well as the shadow moving and being limited. This, of course, makes a solar eclipse in one place a very rare event, and also accounts for the various shapes which would be witnessed by an audience when one did occur. As the Moon passes across and begins to cast a shadow, we begin to see the familiar black semicircle appear on the surface of the sun, making it look as if a bite has been taken out of the side of it. This naturally led to a range of similar stories across many cultures in an effort to explain what they were seeing. Depending on the country and its mythology, the animal in the stories, which may be real or mythical itself, varies but the themes remain quite common. In Norse mythologies, for example, wolves were the animal that were blamed for eating the sun, whereas in Vietnam, the eclipse was said to be caused by a giant frog making a meal of the celestial body. In other countries, the animal not only devours the sun, but also lends its name to the word eclipse in that language. In China, as might be expected, the animal is more mythological, being a dragon of the sky. In this case, the Chinese word for eclipse, she, translates as to eat. In the mythology of the Philippines, similarly, eclipses are caused by a dragon named Bakunawa, which is often represented as a sea serpent. Bakunawa has a mouth the size of a lake, with a red tongue, whiskers and gills, and two sets of wings. Once again, the term Bakunawa is translated from the word eclipse, and also lends itself to the verb meaning to cause an eclipse in that language. There are other versions of the Bakunawa mythology also, which give the creature as a turtle rather than a dragon. Another linguistic derivation is found amongst the Pomo peoples, an indigenous group from the northwest of the United States. In their culture, a story is told of a bear who fights with the sun and takes a large bite from it. After having bitten away part of the sun, the argument between it and the bear is resolved. The story then continues, telling that the bear goes on to meet the moon. The same thing happens there, and a lunar eclipse is the result. We will return to the lunar eclipse later on to examine the folklore around that, from ancient times to more recent. In the meantime, it is worth noting that this story of the bear continuing its journey may be the way that the Pomo explained why solar and lunar eclipses would take place within a couple of weeks of each other. Other cultures lay the blame not with the animals of the earth or the sky, but rather with the gods and deities themselves. In the ancient Hindu mythology, the deity Rahu was said to cause eclipses. Rahu was punished by the gods for stealing and drinking the nectar of the gods Amrita. The gods beheaded Rahu for this act, and Rahu's head flew off across the sky, swallowing the sun. The ancient Greeks thought that a solar eclipse demonstrated that the gods were angry. This was a portent to them, a sign of disaster to come. Even today, in many cultures, the solar eclipse is viewed as an ill omen. In some parts of India, it is common for people to fast during an eclipse because of the belief that food cooked at this time will be impure. In other cultures, pregnant women and young children are told not to venture outside when an eclipse takes place. Part of this is due to the belief that an eclipse can be dangerous both to the mother and the unborn child. These ideas of anger and fighting in the heavens come up in other cultures too. Unlike the Greeks, who believed that it was the gods that were angry, the Terwa tribe of New Mexico thought that it was the sun itself that was annoyed. To them, an eclipse was caused by the sun leaving the sky and going to the underworld to show its displeasure. In still other places, the anger is between two celestial bodies themselves. The Inuit sun god Melina was said to have walked away from a fight with the moon god, who was named Aningen. The point of solar eclipse in this folklore is where the moon god catches back up with his sister Melina. In Benin, the Maliba tell that a solar eclipse shows that the sun and the moon are fighting with each other. They use this happening in the same way that we find many morality tales within folklore, in order to teach something important. In this case, the culture tells that the only way to stop the sun and the moon from being in conflict is for the people on earth to solve their own differences. There are, of course, other ways to try and prevent the eclipse in much of this indigenous folklore. One of the most common was to make as much noise as possible in order to try and scare away the demons or the animals that were trying to steal or consume the sun. This would see people taking pots, pans, drums or any other implement which could be banged and struck to make a din. This is not an uncommon trope in folklore. We may see a similar thing as part of the traditional wassail ceremony, where saucepans are banged, guns are fired, and people shout and screech in order to try and drive away spirits from the trees and ensure a good crop from the apple trees. More information on this can be found in the podcast on Apple Folklore in Season 1 of the Folklore Podcast. Much of Navajo tradition is centred around the universe and balance of the cosmos and so it is natural that an eclipse would play a part in their beliefs here also. For the Navajo, an eclipse is quite natural and was a time to stop and reflect. Even in more modern times, many Navajo will still follow some of the older traditions at the time of an eclipse. Like some of the Indian people, they will also refrain from eating and drinking at this time, but will stay awake with their family indoors and sing traditional songs and reflect on the balance and order of the cosmos. A lunar eclipse takes place when the shadow of the Earth blocks off the light from the sun, which would normally be reflected off the surface of the moon. Eclipses can be either partial or total, depending on the position of the Earth. The third type, penumbral, which takes place when the Moon is in the Earth's outer shadow, does not have a very discernible effect to the lay viewer. Although a significant amount of folklore has grown around the solar eclipse, we find probably even more around astronomical events involving the Moon. As our nearest celestial neighbour, and the body appearing largest in the sky, the Moon is naturally significant to many cultures. There is a natural link between the Earth and Moon, with the latter affecting our tides, for example, and, anecdotally, our mental state in some cases. In recent times we find a lot of discussion surrounding the various types of astronomical event which may involve the Moon harvest moons, blood moons, snow moons, supermoons, and the like, and conjunctions between these and eclipses being even more significant. The same themes involving sky creatures and cosmic conflict that we find with some solar eclipse folklore can also be seen in times of lunar eclipse. If we look at the ancient Incan traditions, recorded by Spanish settlers arriving in the New World, we can see a collection of many of the themes that we have already covered. One myth, for example, has a story of a jaguar which attacked and ate the moon. This was also said to explain the blood red colour that the moon turns during a total eclipse. So there, we have parallels with many of the animal myths surrounding the sun. Continuing that same story, the Incas believe that after devouring the moon, the jaguar would come to earth and begin to eat people here. To stop this happening, they would try and drive the cat away by creating a lot of noise, shaking spears at the sky and beating dogs to encourage them to howl and bark. Again. We see commonalities here with the Benin law at the solar eclipse and also the wassailing traditions of spirit-scaring. Ancient Mesopotamia drew strong links between the Moon and the Earth. There is evidence that astronomers at this time were able to predict the times of lunar eclipse relatively accurately and so it is possible that they had a greater awareness of the influences of the moon on the Earth. In this culture, the lunar eclipse was a result of a demonic attack, which was representative of an attack on the actual physical king of the land. For this reason, and because of the fact that they were able to say when an eclipse was likely, the Mesopotamians would install a fake king at this time. While the real king hid in anonymity among the people, the surrogate would be put into the palace. Although not actually ruling, this man would be well treated for this time. Although the eclipse was a natural event, the surrogate ruler's fate was unfortunately still sealed, because they would not be seen again after the eclipse. Presumably, in order to prove the myth to be true, The fake king would be killed on the quiet when the real one was reinstated. In some cultures, the moon was damaged at the time of an eclipse and required healing. This is especially common in indigenous tribal cultures, where of course healers would have played a key role in daily life. For the Luiseno tribe in the south of California for example, a period of eclipse was a time at which the members of the tribe would need to gather and sing prayers to the moon to restore its health. The Native American Hooper tribe also had a healing myth surrounding the lunar eclipse. The moon, they believed, had 20 wives and many pets. Numbered amongst the pets were many mountain lions and snakes who needed feeding. When the moon was not able to provide them with enough sustenance, the mountain lions and the snakes would attack their master, causing him to bleed and turn red. As the eclipse ended and returned the moon to normality, the Hooper believed that the wives of the moon were protecting their husband, collecting the blood and healing him restoring him to his normal white colour. In 1504, the natural phenomenon of the moon turning red at the time of an eclipse was used to great effect by Christopher Columbus. Whereas the ancient Greeks were able to roughly estimate the times that a lunar eclipse would occur, by the 16th century the development of the almanac meant that Columbus knew precisely when there would be one. Landing in the West Indies, he was therefore able to frighten the less developed indigenous Jamaican native population into providing food and shelter for his crew. The chief of the Jamaican tribe was being less than helpful to Columbus, who told him that God was displeased at his lack of charity and was going to demonstrate his displeasure by turning the moon red before taking it from the sky altogether. As the eclipse began to show its effects, the local population became very scared. Columbus waited until the moon had nearly come out of its eclipse state, before telling the chief that God would forgive the tribe if they cared for him and his crew until they left. The chief agreed, and Columbus's crew were well looked after until they left. Because the moon does not emit its own light, a lunar eclipse is far less directional than a solar one, and so it can be seen anywhere on Earth that is in the nighttime hours when it occurs. Being more common, it naturally therefore has more folklore attached to it and culturally is more significant. To modern magical practitioners, pagans and the like, the moon is very important, and often a very strong element in the work that they do. For this reason, the time of an eclipse is seen as particularly powerful. Some of these practitioners view the eclipse as the equivalent of an entire lunar cycle in one night because the moon essentially waxes, wanes and reemerges in one go. In some magical traditions, therefore, any workings that are undertaken during the time of an eclipse are more powerful than normal. Conversely, Others suggest that it is dangerous to do spell work during an eclipse, for the same reason, and especially if you are new to the craft. Practitioners say that because an eclipse takes place during the full moon cycle, then it is a time to undertake rituals which focus on growth and development. And naturally, it is also a good time to perform any rites which honour lunar gods and goddesses and there are specific lunar rituals, such as the drawing down of the moon, which can be performed. Looking back through less mythological history, we can find examples where the eclipse is connected retrospectively as a warning for something which took place. William of Malmesbury cites an eclipse on August 2nd 1133, as a portent to the fact that King Henry I, who left England on that date, would not return alive. Just seven years later, on April 13th of 1140, a total solar eclipse took place, which was similarly taken as a precursor to King Stephen being removed from power. Focusing down onto the area of traditional folklore, we may find lots pertaining to the eclipse. The day after an eclipse is said to be a good time to commence a journey because it will be bound to be successful. This relates to either a solar or a lunar eclipse. Old German folklore says that you should cover wells or fountains during a solar eclipse because its effects will poison the water. A short distance away, in Bavaria, it was said that if you threw crumbs onto a fire during an eclipse, then you would never be bothered by the sun. Treasure, as a motif, crops up in many aspects of folklore. One obscure piece of lore says that the time of an eclipse is one where all hidden treasures may be opened up. In order to be able to help yourself to any of these treasures, then you should carry a primrose with you during this time. Another old and obscure piece of law states that children born at the time of an eclipse will be doomed to die due to the malice of another person. This is not something, of course, that is generally believed in anymore. Folklore such as this harks back to the more portentous aspects of the eclipse. Soldiers, for instance, did not like an eclipse because they believed that it always brought defeat. A folklore such as this is odd, of course, when you pause for a moment to consider it, because after all, there will be at least two warring factions in a battle, and they would usually both witness the eclipse. The result would inevitably have to be a stalemate with everyone losing. Relating to the fact that it is unlucky to have a child during an eclipse is the fact that folklore says that you may protect your unborn baby during this time by putting a red towel over your stomach. There seems to be no definite route as to why this should be the case, but it is true that both the moon and the colour red are important symbols of pregnancy and fertility. The conjunctive Blood Moon and supermoon event of 2016 was a fascinating occurrence which seemed to affect a large number of people. I collected a wealth of personal accounts surrounding this event from people who had experienced unusual or significant happenings around the time that it took place. In June's Folklore Bites extra episode for the Patreon subscribers of the podcast, I'll present some of these comments. Details on how to access this content are at the end of this episode. Events such as blood moons and total eclipses were seen by some not only to bring ill fortune, but to be actually apocalyptic. Some of the biblical references to these events may inform, or at least demonstrate, similar themes to lunar and solar folklore. For example, In the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 30, we find And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Fortunately, we all seem to have survived the most recent Blood Moon event intact, as well as a number of solar and lunar eclipses, so the Day of Judgment may not be due just yet. Astronomical events such as eclipses of the Sun and Moon are better understood by science in modern times, but still hold significance for many. And, However you view eclipses within your belief system as symbolic, magically potent, or just scientifically fascinating, they are, without doubt, a wonderful event to be enjoyed whenever the chance arises. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The Folklore Podcast is created and hosted by me, Mark Norman. Find out more about my writing and research at www.facebook.com slash marknormanfolklore. The Folklore Podcast Art Director is Melissa Martell. Find her work at www.mdmcreate.com The Folklore Podcast will always be free to listen to, but it is an enormous amount of work to research, create, record, and write two of these episodes every month. And so we have created a simple way in which you can help to support the ongoing life of the Folklore Podcast. Please visit our website at www.thefolklorepodcast.com and click on Support. There are various ways that you can help, and they don't all involve giving us money. Even just leaving a simple review on iTunes or other podcast apps helps to grow our audience. So please do visit and take a moment to help us to keep going. Thank you for listening. The Folklore Podcast theme music is written and performed by GurdyBird. Bird.